Well, we uh, come to our second uh, talk on Two Kings. So, Two Kings Part 2. Uh, we're meandering our way through this bit because it's uh, a bit complicated, the, the two nations and, you know, sort of what's going on in the north and what's going on in the south and the, you know, sort of like the history is run concurrently. So we're kind of up in Israel and then meanwhile down in Judah and it's all, all very complicated and, and we've only got very small brains and um, so we're taking it nice and um, nice and slowly so we're gonna start with a, a recap on uh, what we did last time the first part of Two Kings and uh, so kind of the uh, the story so far in Two Kings and uh, you'll remember Two Kings began um, up in the north in Israel with um, the reign of Ahaziah and he was Ahab's son Remember Ahab, the one who Elijah came up against? And uh, Ahaziah reigning in Israel. And uh, he reigned for two years, and uh, he, he did evil, as into idolatry, into the occult. And uh, you remember, we, we saw he, he, fell, he fell through roof, you know, through the ceiling of his, his room. And, uh, and he, he, he sent a delegation of his men off to, um, to seek a false god and to see if he could get occult healing and uh, like his dad he was dealt with by Elijah you remember that uh, this band of men were going off to seek um, the false god Elijah um, blocked their path and, and he said go back and tell him that you know it's not going to be healed it's no good and that what he's doing is wrong and, uh, and you'll remember that uh, Ahaziah then sent 50 soldiers and uh, the captain demanded that Elijah go with them you remember that Elijah called down fire on heaven uh, fire from heaven on them <laughs> crumbs um, and then another 50 soldiers went and they demanded that Elijah come to present himself to the king with them and he called fire down from heaven on them as well and then the third lot uh, the captain of that particular lot, he knelt down and he pleaded, with, you know, he said, please, which when you're up against someone like Elijah, I personally would do as well. And so they weren't consumed with fire. And uh, so they took Elijah to see Ahazar and Elijah said, you're going to die. And so, so he did. And uh, he didn't have any sons, remember, so he was succeeded by his younger brother, Joram. So no kids, so his younger brother, Joram, also Ahab's son, obviously, because his brother takes over. And uh, then, then it moved on to the story of where Elijah was taken up to heaven and uh, succeeded by Elisha. And remember, Elisha got a double portion of his spirit, having seen him taken up into heaven. And, um, and the, very much the, the exploits of Elisha, the the ministry of Elisha very much becomes, you know, sort of like the main thread throughout the book of, um, of Two Kings. And uh, so really he's the, he's the hero of the piece all the way through, and we'll certainly be seeing more of him tonight when we eventually uh, get on to the rest of Two Kings and finish this recap. 
that we're meandering through because it's complicated and we've got very small brains and everyone's falling asleep. All right. And uh, so anyway, Joram, uh, we saw he, he took over from Ahaziah and uh, his younger brother. And um, we saw that he formed an alliance with Jehoshaphat, uh, just like his dad had done. Uh, we'll see more of Jehoshaphat. And, uh, but he, he kind of like formed lots of alliances with people that he shouldn't. And uh, you remember that the two of them uh, went against Moab and um, Elisha gave them his blessing but only because Jehoshaphat was in the alliance because Joram was, was you know, sort of very much an out of fellowship type of king and uh, you'll remember there was the, um, the thing about the ditches and they dug the ditches and the ditches filled with water and then the next morning the Moabites looked at the ditches and the water looked to them like it was blood and so they, they assumed that the Israelites had wiped each other out and so they went charging in and of course, you know, sort of like when they got there they realised too late that Israel were all there and so they were, you know, kind of wiped out and uh, so, so we saw that, that victory um, that, that Joram of Israel had, had against Moab and um, then it, it homes in very much more on the ministry of Elisha and you know, we, we, we saw the things about Naaman who was the, um, uh, the, the soldier from Aram and uh, he was healed of leprosy and we saw things like the axe head going in the water and all, all this sort of stuff, all the general exploits of uh, Elisha and uh, we saw where Samaria, this is still Joram, up in the north in Israel and the capital was Samaria and uh, Joram is, is besieged by Aram, so Aram, Syria, attacks. And um, Samaria is sieged, so the um, Aramaic army are completely surrounding the city, and, uh, and it got so bad that cannibalism broke out, and uh, Elisha was in the city, and Joram blamed him, and um, Elisha went to Joram, and he said, well, tomorrow, all going to be over. The Lord's going to deliver us. And we, we saw how there were four lepers outside the city. And they thought, well, I mean, we might as well go over to the Arameans because, you know, we've got nothing to lose. We're lepers. We can't get in the city. We'll go and see, see if we got, you know, sort of like can get some food there. And they went only to find that the, the camp was absolutely deserted, you know, and the Arameans had, had fled. And, uh, you know, the Lord had sorted them out. And, um, and so they, they go and, um, and tell the city, you know, look, it's, you know, it's over, they've gone. And uh, you'll remember that when Elisha told Joram that tomorrow, you know, God's going to, you know, free us from this and deliver us from it, there was one of the, the captains of the guard and he sort of said, no, never, you know, and he expressed complete unbelief. And uh, once it was realised that the Arameans have fled, and obviously cannibalism had broken out in Samaria, you know, I mean, people were so hungry that in the rush to get out to the camp, that officer was, was crushed in the rush, you know. So, I mean, judgment on, on his unbelief. And uh, then we, we, we went down into Judah. So, meanwhile, in Judah and down in the southern kingdom, and uh, Jehoshaphat's son, Jehoram, um, takes over from him. And uh, Jehoshaphat, relatively good, we'll be seeing more about him. And uh, but uh, Jehoram was um, not like his his father at all. He was evil, and he he married one of Ahab's daughters, and um, 
you know, and of course Jehoshaphat, although a good king, got into all these daft alliances with the outer fellowship kings in the north. And, um, and now, as a result of this, his son has married King Ahab's daughter. So, you know, I mean, that was the fruit of, of all the daft alliances that, that he um, had. And uh, we saw that Jehoram, we didn't see that much about him, not told that much about him, but he, he, he became king 32 years old, and he ruled for eight years. And after that, he was succeeded by his son, um, Ahaziah. And uh, we, we saw that Ahaziah was also evil, he didn't follow the Lord. And uh, he formed an alliance with Joram up in the north. And um, they attacked Aram, and as a result, Joram was wounded. And um, Elisha goes to a bloke called Jehu, remember, and uh, God wanted Jehu to become king of Israel in Joram's place and uh, Joram obviously being a descendant of, of Ahab. And uh, you remember that through Elijah, Ahab had been told that eventually all his descendants would be completely cut off. But you'll remember because of his uh, repentance after the incident with Naboth's vineyard, the Lord said to him that it won't happen in your lifetime, you won't live to see it. So he died shortly afterwards and, and it all happened after him. And it largely happened through this bloke Jehu. And uh, so Jehu kills Joram and becomes king in his place. And, um, and then he goes about and he gets the rest of Ahab's family and he completely destroys them. And you'll remember that Jezebel, Ahab's wife, when Joram turned up where she was staying, her eunuchs threw her out of the top window of a house and they, they, they killed her um, for Joram. So, you know, Ahab's family now has been completely wiped out, as uh, had been prophesied uh, to Ahab by Elijah. And uh, so now we've got Jehu reigning up in Israel, and um, he, he reigned for 28 years, and he, he followed the Lord. He was, of all the kings in Israel, in the north, he was the only one who followed the Lord. But nevertheless, not fully, the Bible says, and uh, he did keep some idolatry going. Uh, I mean, he rid Israel of the Baal cult, uh, but in actual fact, he did keep some idolatry going. So he followed the Lord, but he wasn't exactly what you would call absolutely wholehearted. And uh, he was succeeded by um, his son Jehoahaz. Now, that's kind of um, where we left it last time. And uh, I'm just going to go through the kings so far, all right? Just, just to, to remind you, I know it's a lot to take in, but so far, all right, the kings, you remember there was King Saul, then there was King David, and then his son Solomon. And you'll remember it was after Solomon died and because of his idolatry that the kingdom split. And Solomon's son ruled in Judah and kept the dynasty going in the south. But you'll remember that Jeroboam led a new empire in the north and he became the first king of the nation of Israel in the north. So we've now got the people of God, the people of Israel, divided into the two kingdoms. The kingdom in the north, known as Israel, and the kingdom in the south, known as Judah. And it's the kingdom in the south that is the messianic line, because Solomon's son started up the kingdom, in the, uh, or kept going in the kingdom in the south. So with Judah, the southern kingdom, we had Rehoboam, he was Solomon's son. 
Then we had Abijah, Asa, Jehoshaphat, Jehoram, and Ahaziah. We've seen all those kings so far. And running parallel to them in the northern kingdom of Israel was Jeroboam the first, the guy who led the ten tribes away from the south and started up the new kingdom. And uh, then he was succeeded by his son Nadab. And um, Nadab was murdered by Basha. So then Basha took over. And uh, when Basha died, he was succeeded by his son Elah. Um, Elah was then murdered by Zimri, who, who reigned for a full seven days. Um, and Zimri was then murdered by the commander of the army, Omri. And, uh, and then Omri's son, Ahab, was the one that Elijah dealt with. And then Ahab's son, Ahaziah, then Ahaziah's brother, Joram, and then Jehu, the one who killed Joram and tried to get the north back, you know, in fellowship with the Lord. And then Jehu's son, Jehoahaz. So that brings us up to, you know, where we've got to so far in 2 Kings. So now we move on to 2 Kings chapter 11, having done 1 to 10 last time. And uh, the situation we've got is that at the moment Judah is kingless, alright? Ahaziah, um, king of Judah, has been killed. So Judah is without a king. And uh, Jehoahaz is reigning in Israel. Remember Jehoahaz, who was the son of Jehu, alright? So then, in chapter 11, we uh, pick up the history of Judah, the southern kingdom. And uh, Ahaziah has died, all right? And so Judah is without a king. Now, his mum was called Athaliah. And she was, uh, to put it nicely, an old witch. She really was. And she decided that she would have the throne for herself. She had no right to the throne, but she decided that she would have the throne for herself. And so what she did is she killed all her sons and she had all her family killed. So that she was the only one left who could become queen. However, um, Ahaziah's sister, all right, managed to escape. And also she was able to hide Ahaziah's son Joash. So the point is, Athaliah has gone through the whole family like a dose of salts, murdering them. But one of um, Ahaziah's children, Joash, is saved. And Jehoshaphat manages to save him, and she hides him so Athaliah couldn't get to him. And uh, in actual fact, uh, this woman, Jehoshaphat, was married to the high priest at the time, a bloke called Jehoiada. So Athaliah now reigns in Judah for six years. She has a six-year reign. But remember, Jehoiada, the high priest, has got Joash, one of Ahaziah's sons, safe and sound. And he and his wife, Jehoshaphat, are kind of raising him. And they're goodies. They follow the Lord. Jehoiada was the high priest and he was a goodie. And uh, so what, what Jehoiada is doing is that he's grooming Joash to eventually become king, as he should have been. Because it should have been Joash who was king anyway, not Athaliah. And, um, and eventually, after six years, Jehoiada gets the army on his side as well. So he's able to persuade the powers that be that 
we need to get shot of Athaliah. She shouldn't be queen. She shouldn't be on the throne. She's a menace. Let's get shot of her. And so eventually he gets the army on his side. Once that happens, then Joash is made king and uh, just seven years old. So he was one year old when Athaliah became queen. So he was one year old when they rescued him as a baby from Athaliah. And, um, you know, his grandmother, you know, this is the point, you know, I mean, she was a dreadful woman, you know, just killing her whole family. And um, so, so Joash was seven years old and he was made king by Jehoiada with backing of the army and Athaliah was executed for her treason and, and you know, and all the murders that she'd committed. And uh, so now young Joash is reigning as he should be. And uh, you'll notice that uh, there was um, a potential change there in the Messianic line. Because Athaliah, all right, although the mother of, you know, kind of, you know, she was married to the king who was in the Messianic line, she wasn't herself, only by marriage. And of course, what you got here was Satan trying to disrupt the Messianic line in the kingdom of Judah. But now, because little Joash was rescued and kept safe, and Joash is now king, Joash was Azariah's son, and therefore, after this one, this blip, Satan trying to muck up the messianic line in the, you know, in the south. Now everything's back on course again and Joash is on the throne just as he should have been um, at the start. And uh, during his reign, um, Jehoiada cleansed Judah of Baal worship. So Jehoiada, the high priest, you know, because of all his efforts with Joash, he had a lot of power, obviously, and he, he followed the Lord as Joash did, and so they, they completely uh, rid the land of um, Baal worship. And then in chapter 12, uh, you know, we get more details um, about Joash, the fact that he reigned for 40 years. And... Um, and as long as Jehoiada was alive, Joash followed the Lord. So he was a good king. Um, however, when we come on to do Chronicles next time, because Chronicles gives us information that we don't get in one or two kings. So in Chronicles, you get extra bits of info and extra bits of history that aren't in one kings or two kings, etc., etc. And we learn from Chronicles that uh, once Jehoiada died, the high priest, who was like Joash's mentor, all right, when he died, uh, Joash backslid. So, um, you know, we'll see more of that next time. So he was a, a good king and he followed the law for most of his life, but then when Jehoiada, his mentor, died, he, he fell away. But uh, nevertheless, through, through his, his reign, he um, had the temple done up because the temple had fallen into disrepair and was in a dreadful state and uh, he had the temple done up um, and properly repaired and restored to how it should have been but uh, having having done that and uh, you know this is just a sign of a kind of a weakness that that was in Joash um, at that time Hazael the king of Aram um, had captured Gath, that was down in the Philistine territory, just to the kind of, you know, like the, the west of, of Judah. And then having got Gath, he turned to attack Judah itself. Now, what, what Joash did, ra rather foolishly, is having restored the temple 
and, and got all the treasure back in it as it should have been, all the, the valuable objects and the candlesticks and the, the brass basins and the you name it and the whatnots and stuff and, you know, read, you know, read Leviticus and it'll give you all the details. Having, having got all that done, what he does is that he pays Hazel off using it all as tribute. And he gives it away. Having just restored it, he gives it away. And what he says to Hazel is, look, don't attack me and I'll give you all this treasure from the temple. So Hazel, knowing a bargain when he sees one, says, okay, no problem. And that was one thing that did happen in the ancient world. If an enemy attacked you, you did have the option of trying to buy them off. And say, well, don't attack us. Just, um, you know, here, have our treasure. Because often it was the treasure they wanted anyway. And so it was you didn't get invaded and they got the treasure without having to risk possibly losing. Because, of course, if you invaded, you might lose, mightn't you? So Joash, having restored the temple, got all the treasure back in it, now gives it away to Hazel in tribute. So I'm in a bit, you know, a bit, bit, bit daft that. And uh, eventually, and when we come on to do Chronicles, you'll see that this was actually rather fitting, the way he ended up. Eventually, he was assassinated. And... Um, and once he was assassinated, he was succeeded by his son, who was called Amaziah. Now, in chapter 13, we, meanwhile, back up north in Israel, all right? So we've been doing Judah, now we're back up to Israel, all right? And uh, Jehu's son, uh, Jehoahaz, uh, is reigning up there, and he, he lasts for, for 17 years. And... Um, he was evil, he didn't follow the Lord, and he really got oppressed by Hazel of Aram as well. So the Aramaic nation was really giving Israel stick as well. I mean, we saw it giving Judah stick just now, didn't we? We saw Joash handing over all the treasure to um, Hazael, and, um, you know, who was the king of Aram. And, um, and now, you know, sort of we're seeing that, 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 that Hazael is really oppressing the north as well during the reign of Jehoahaz. And uh, what happened was that um, because of this oppression and, and, you know, sort of like the Arameans keep invading and stuff like that, um, Jehoahaz actually did seek the Lord. He only did it once. And it was just that God would deliver him from Hazel you know, from the Aramaic army that kept invading. And the Lord did. The Lord did. He cried out to the Lord, and the Lord heard his cry, and, and you know, sort of set him free from all these incursions of um, the Arameans. But uh, nevertheless, even though he prayed and the Lord answered his prayer, he didn't change. He, he carried on being an idolater. He was into idolatry until the day he died. And, uh, you know, so, so it didn't actually change him. He cried out to the Lord, he saw the Lord in his mercy intervene, but he didn't change, didn't change his behaviour at all. And uh, so eventually he died, and uh, then he was succeeded by his son called Jehoash. And uh, we're told here that Jehoash, he reigned for 16 years, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. You know, I mean, he was a, a good for nothing, the same as his father was. And uh, he ended up embroiled in, in various wars uh, with, with Judah in the south. And uh, anyway, at this time, um, Elisha becomes terminally ill. So Elisha is now on the point of death. And uh, Jehoash, this guy we're looking at, all right, Jehoahaz's his son, Jehoash, um, goes to his bedside all upset. 
Because, I mean, he's the king, and Elisha has helped him and is his friend. He's not following the law, but nevertheless, he did have a bit of a, you know, affection for Elisha. And uh, so Jehoash, hearing that Elisha is, is dead, you know, is dying, goes to his bedside, doesn't want him to die. And, um, and Elisha tells him to, to f fire an arrow out of the window and uh, saying that it's, it was the arrow of victory over Aram. All right, because remember, Aram, Hazel, Aram, you know, Aramaic nation is oppressing Israel and Judah all over the place, real, real pain. And, um, and Elisha tells him to strike the ground with the remaining arrows. So he's, he's got a bow and a quiver of arrows, and he's fired one out the window, as Elisha has said. And Elisha says, this is the arrow of victory over Aram, Syria. Remember, Aram was Syria. Um, and then he says that he's to strike the ground with remaining arrows. So Jehoash gets remaining arrows and he strikes the ground three times with them. At which point Elisha gets, um, gets cross with him and told him, look, you should have done it five or six times. Because if you'd done it five or six times, you'd have got complete victory over Aram and you would have destroyed it. And all these invasions from Aram, Syria, would have ended completely. But he says, but because you only did it three times, you're only going to get three victories against them. And uh, so that's that. And then Elisha died and was buried. And um, now, so sometime afterwards, this is all fitted in here in chapter 13, um, a corpse is buried in the same place where Elijah was, all right? And uh, this, this corpse touches Elisha's bones. So this is a good, good way afterwards. I mean, you know, Elisha's body is, you know, is just his bones left. But when, when this cadaver, when this corpse touches Elisha's bones, um, the bloke comes back to life. He's raised again from the dead. And what's interesting is that you remember that Elisha was given a double portion of Elijah's spirit. Now, if you go through the Bible and look at all the miracles that Elijah performed, and then go through and look at all the ones that Elisha performed, you'll find that with this miracle, the corpse being raised from the dead when it touches Elisha's bones, you'll find that this is literally Elisha worked twice as many miracles as Elijah. It's that precise. Do it sometimes. Quite, quite interesting to do that. So, you know, sort of like, you know, Elisha got his double portion and he worked twice as many miracles. Anyway, at this point, Hazel, now he's the king of Aram, Syria, who's been oppressing them all over the place. And you'll remember that, that, that Hazel had actually been appointed as king of Aram by Elisha. And you'll remember that when Elisha did that, he was in tears. And he was in tears because he said, I know all the upset, I know all the, the terror, I know all the sadness that you're going to bring to Israel. Because the point was, God had raised Hazel up and made him king of Syria um, precisely to use him in judgment against Israel and Judah because they were out of fellowship with him all the time. You know, so this Hazel, was, he was God's judgment on um, Judah and 
um, Israel. And now he dies, so, so Hazel is dead. And uh, he's succeeded by his son, whom he called Ben-Hadad. Now, you'll remember, or perhaps you should remember, or perhaps you shouldn't remember, I don't know, but you should remember, I think, that, that, when, <laughs> that, that when Hazel was anointed by Elisha, to become the king of Aram, the first thing he had to do was to kill the existing king, who was called Ben-Hadad. Of course you remember that, excellent. So he names his son Ben-Hadad after, you know, the bloke whom he'd murdered in order to become the king. So anyway, he's succeeded by his son. And what happens now is that Jehoash wins three important victories over him. So each one being the fruit of when he hit the arrows on the, the floor three times. And uh, then, then we're told that eventually Jehoash dies and he is succeeded by his son Jeroboam II. So Jehoash has named his son after the first king of Israel, Jeroboam. So now we've got Jeroboam II. Now in chapter 14 we go back down to Judah. So meanwhile, down in Judah, down in the south, all right, um, Joash's son, Amaziah, is reigning, and uh, he, he lasts for 29 years. He was 25 when he became king, and uh, he rules the south, Judah, for 25 years. Now, he followed the Lord after a fashion, all right? So he followed the Lord a bit, but the Bible says not like David. The kings of Israel and Judah were gauged by how did they compare with King David. And what we're told here of um, Amaziah, Joash's son, is that he followed the Lord after a fashion, but he wasn't like King David. And um, he executed the officials responsible for his father's assassination, because you'll remember that his dad was assassinated, I said. So he executes the people who did that. And um, he, he goes on to have a, a really good victory against Edom. And uh, e Edom were kind of like, a, you know, a vassal nation to, to Judah, you know, so that when Judah was in fellowship, Edom was kind of like, you know, a vassal to it, you know, Edam did what Israel said. But when Israel got, uh, sorry, when Judah got out of fellowship, Edom would rebel, you see. Uh, you know, so I mean, they put get out of fellowship and you lose your extended kingdom, the, the, you know, the little empire you've got goes. And, um, but during his reign, he got Edom back in their place, you see. So that, that, that was good, a sign that the Lord was with him. But, um, but after that, he got, he got a bit cocky and he decided that he'd have war with Israel, the northern kingdom, when Jehoash was, was, was king. Now, Jehoash didn't want to fight him, but Amaziah did. So, therefore, Amaziah now wants to have a war with the north. The north isn't interested. I mean, the north is well out of fellowship, but they're not interested. They don't want to fight him, but he kind of insists. And so, what happened was that, that therefore, he, he, he proceeds to attack and go to war against King Jehoash of the north, Israel. Now, the result of that is that Jehoash wiped the floor with him. And Judah was absolutely defeated. So badly 
that um, Jehoash, Israel, the north, invaded the south and actually, you know, got into the city and Jerusalem and kind of ransacked it. So this was absolutely disastrous. You know, the fact that Amaziah wanted this war, it was against God's will and he got absolutely marmalized. And so, you know, sort of Jehoash, the king of Israel in the north, has come down and they've got into the city and they, they carry off booty and hostages and Amaziah himself. So Amaziah now ends up going into captivity up in the north um, as Jehoash's prisoner. So having started off well, because he got cocky, because he got a victory over Moab, he's gone against Israel, Israel has absolutely beaten Judah up, and now he has been taken away prisoner up in Israel. Now, eventually he was tracked down by some of his own men down from south in Judah. They tracked him down in Israel and they assassinated him. Well, presumably, because I mean, he, he, he led the, the nation into absolute... You know, it was daft, you know, I mean, the nation was just a wreck as a result of this war that he wanted to have. And uh, so, so his own men found him, even though he was a prisoner in Israel, they, they found him and assassinated him. And uh, he, he was um, then succeeded by his son, Azariah. Now, still in chapter 14, we go back up to Israel, all right? And uh, at the time when Jeroboam II, the son of Jehoash, is reigning. So we've just had the history right, about Jehoash, but now we go up to Israel a few years later when his son Jeroboam II is reigning. And uh, he, he ruled the north Israel uh, for 41 years and he, like all the others, did evil in the sight of the Lord. Uh, the one thing he did of note is that um, at the direction of the prophet Jonah, and Jonah, the book Jonah, Jonah and the Big Fish in the Belly of the Whale, well, he appears here as well. And um, at the direction of the prophet Jonah, um, Jeroboam II restored to Israel what had been previously captured by King Hazael of Aram. So what happened was that Jonah instructs Jeroboam that he's to go to war against Aram and to take back all the booty and the spoil that the Aramaeans has had off of Israel thus far. So he does that, and because the Lord wants him to, and because he's doing it in the will of the Lord, he has success. Um, but nevertheless, he didn't follow the Lord. I mean, he did what Jonah said, but he didn't himself follow the Lord. So, I mean, you know, he, he was, uh, again, not a believer. He wasn't someone who followed the Lord at all. And eventually he died and uh, he was succeeded by his son, Zechariah. Now then, uh, in chapter 15, we go back down to Judah, um, where Azariah, we just saw Amaziah was the king, all right, he died, and he was succeeded by his son, Azariah. So Azariah ruling down in Judah. Now also, Azariah was known as something else, Uzziah. So he had two names, Azariah and Uzziah. And Uzziah should mean something to you, because um, the prophet Isaiah, he had his vision of the Lord, you know, sort of like his train filled the temple, Isaiah chapter 6. That was in the year that King Uzziah died. All right? So Azariah is the Uzziah 
who died just as the ministry of Isaiah was getting off the ground. And uh, Azariah, or Isaiah, because he's known as both these names, he reigned for 52 years, having got on the throne when he was 16. And he, he followed the Lord. I mean, he, he was a relatively good king. He followed the Lord. Um, but from two chronicles, we know that, that he, he became a bit rebellious in his later years. And he grew proud. And uh, what he did is he usurped the authority of the priesthood. And he did a sacrifice before the Lord that only the priests were allowed to do. Do you remember King Saul did that, didn't he? And it was when King Saul did that that the Lord said, right, I'm taking the kingdom from you, all right? And here, Azariah, or Isaiah, he does exactly the same thing. And as he did it, God afflicted him with leprosy. And he had leprosy for the rest of his days until he died. And, uh, you know, so, so once he was afflicted with leprosy, even though it was a few years later that he died, once he had leprosy, his son, Jotam, succeeded him as king. All right. Now, meanwhile, back down in Israel, all right, Zechariah, who was the son of Jeroboam II, Zechariah reigns for the impressive period of six months before he's assassinated. So, turbulent times up north in Israel. A six-month reign here. And he's assassinated by a guy called Shalom who takes his place. Now, Shalom, not wanting to be outdone and staking his claim for a record, all right, in the Bible, reigned for a month before he was assassinated by a bloke called Menahem. Right. So Menahem has assassinated Shalom. Shalom, um, Zechariah reigned for six months, was assassinated by Shalom. Shalom became king. Shalom lasted a month, was assassinated by Menahem. Now Menahem becomes king. And Menahem reigned for ten years. And again, he did evil in the sight of the Lord. Um, the only thing we're told about him is that the Assyrian nation invaded, or was set to invade, under the leadership of a bloke called Pul, P-U-L, King Pul. And um, he resisted that by paying him off. So again, he got all the treasure he could, and he said to Pul, don't invade me, just have my treasure. And so the Assyrians went away. And uh, after reigning for ten years, he dies. And he's succeeded by his son, Pekah Hire. There's a joke in there, but I'm not going to bother to pursue it, all right? Now, Pekah Hire also did evil in the name of the Lord. And he lasted for two years, all right? And then he was assassinated by one of his officers, who was called Pekah, who presumably was shorter because he wasn't Pekah Hire. No, so, so Pekah Hire has been assassinated by one of his officials, Pekah. So Pekah is now the king, all right? Remember, this is all up in Israel. And Pekah reigns for 20 years. And, um, and it was during his reign that uh, there was a partial invasion by Assyria. So Assyria made a play a few years earlier, all right, and, uh, you know, sort of uh, during Menahem's reign, and Menahem kind of paid Assyria off. 
But now, all right, quite a few years later, during the reign of, of, of Pika, there's an actual partial invasion by Assyria, and Assyria are successful. And what's happening is that now the north, Israel, is partially a vassal nation to Assyria. So Assyria is beginning to emerge as a world power, and Assyria now has a definite stake in the power and the politics of Israel in the north, all right? And that began to happen during the reign of Pekar. And then Pekar is assassinated by a bloke called Hoshea, who becomes king in his place. So, can you see, we've got a real crop of assassinations there. You see the mess that the North is in. And yet, at the same time, you can really see the North is getting worse and worse and worse. And here we have Assyria increasing in influence as a world power and getting a fifth column in Israel in the North. So, Assyria is beginning to move in on Israel. So, Hoshea is now reigning up in Israel, having assassinated Pekah. And then the Bible takes us back down to Judah in the south, where uh, Jotham, the son of Azariah, also known as Uzziah, is reigning. And uh, he was 25 when he became king, and he reigned for 16 years. Now, he followed the Lord. He was a good king, and he rebuilt the upper gate of the temple. So again, you know, a lot of the damage that had been done in the past, he repairs it. And uh, he died uh, and was succeeded by his son Ahaz. Then we come into chapter 16. And in chapter 16, um, we've got the actual reign of this guy Ahaz. And uh, he was the king for 16 years. He started to rule when he was 20, and he reigned for 16 years. Now, he was a stinker. Um, he was so evil before the Lord. He even got into human sacrifice. Suddenly, the south drops into the pits, and human sacrifice is now happening. And this guy, Ahaz, gave one of his sons as a human sacrifice. So we've suddenly got awful developments down in the south. Now, during his reign, all right, uh, the king of Aram, Syria, was a bloke called Rezin. And during Ahaz's reign, Aram, who was in alliance with King Pekah of Israel, all right, remember King Pekah, who killed Pekahiah, all right? Pekah got into an alliance with Aram, Syria, all right? And so what happens is, in the reign of King Ahaz, down in Judah, Aram, all right, in conjunction with King Pekah of Israel, attacks um, Ahaz in Judah. Now, Ahaz responded to this attack by turning to the Assyrian Empire. And what Ahaz did is that he became, he, and, he, he made Judah a vassal nation of the Assyrian Empire. 
The Assyrian Empire was then was the world empire, and it was being ruled by a guy called Tiglath-Pileser. And so Ahaz, under threat from this alliance, this coalition of the north, Israel, with Aram, Syria, all right, Ahaz, being threatened by them, goes to Assyria. Now you'll remember, Assyria has, always got, has already got a bit of a stake in the north anyway. Ahaz, Judah, the south, goes to Assyria and becomes a vassal nation in exchange for protection against the alliance between Israel and um, Aram. And what's so ironic is that it was this Tiglath-Pileser, who Ahaz turns to now, who eventually um, captured Damascus, which was the capital of Aram, Syria, and who later went on to, in, uh, to enslave the north. But at this particular point, with Ahaz, sort of with Judah under the leadership of Ahaz becoming a vassal uh, thing to Assyria, what happens is that, that, that Ahaz virtually becomes Assyrian himself. He completely turns his back culturally on everything Jewish. And the south, Judah, virtually loses its Jewishness completely. So, so that now the south, Judah, under the reign of Ahaz, is now little more than an Assyrian province and is so taken over by Assyria that it virtually ceases to exist. But eventually Ahaz died and when he died he was succeeded by his son called Hezekiah. Now Hezekiah, as we're going to see in a few moments, saved the day, alright, because now Judah is virtually non-existent, but Hezekiah, as we're going to see, was raised up to save the day. But in chapter 17 we go back to the northern kingdom under the reign of Hoshea. Remember Hoshea, he had assassinated Pekah. Now Hoshea was the very last king of Israel, the very last king of the northern kingdom. And the reason for this is because the northern kingdom is now about to be taken into captivity. They're about to be carted off out of the land completely. And you'll remember we saw that Ahaz in the south had become a vassal nation to Assyria. Well, ironically, Hoshea became a vassal nation to Assyria as well. And that he went to Assyria and he says, you're the great power today, I want to be under your protection. But when you became a vassal to a greater power, you were under their protection, but you were also under their authority as well. And um, Tiglath-Pileser has now been, he's dead, and, and he's been succeeded by another king called Shalmaneser. And it was Shalmaneser that Hoshea actually became a vassal to. But what he then does, and it's a very stupid thing to have done, is that having become a vassal 
to Tiglath, uh, to, to Tiglath, sorry, to Shalmaneser of the Assyrian Empire. What Hoshea now does is he betrays his vassal status and he goes and forms an alliance with Egypt. So the position that he's in, he's the king of Israel, the northern kingdom, and he's a vassal to Shalmaneser who's ruling the Assyrian Empire. <coughs> but he then breaks his obligations to Assyria and he forms an alliance with Egypt. Now Egypt was no friend of Assyria and Assyria was no friend of Egypt. And now here is Hoshea betraying his vassal status to Shalmaneser and going uh, into alliance with Egypt. Now Shalmaneser responded violently to it. And he invaded, he completely took the land over, he wiped them out. Hoshea um, was seized and jailed by Shalmaneser. <coughs> and the entire nation were deported to Assyria. And the policy that Assyria had, if a nation broke its vassal status, is that it simply went in <coughs> and it deported just about everyone. It's as simple as that. So the nation virtually ceased to exist. And so you have here the Assyrian captivity of the northern kingdom. Israel, the ten tribes, the northern kingdom is being taken off into captivity by the Assyrians. And the thing is, it was never heard of again. It became here the ten lost tribes. It never came back into the land. It was gone. Israel was gone, completely wiped out by the Assyrians. Now, what happened was that Assyria, having deported 90% of the Jews who lived there, you know, in, um, in Israel, <coughs> they repopulated it with their own people. So all these bands of Assyrians then moved in, all right, to take the place over. Now, over the next hundreds of years, what happened was the Jews who were deported out of Israel, they, they virtually vanished. I mean, they were just gone, all right, dead, finished, never heard of again. And the Assyrians repopulated Israel with their own people. But obviously, there were remnants of the Jews left. I mean, not everyone got deported. The job is too big, but 90% of them were. So what happened was, the Assyrians pour into Israel and repopulate what was a Jewish land. And at the same time, are mingling with the remnants of the Jews who remained. Now, this gave rise, over a few hundred years, to a mixed breed race comprising of Assyrians and Jews. And you'll remember that the capital of the Northern Kingdom was Samaria. Samaria remained the capital of this new kingdom. And it eventually became the kingdom of what ended up to be known as the Samaritans. And the Samaritans were a race of people 
who had enough Jewishness in them to be Jews, but had enough Assyrian in them to not be pure Jews, and to be far enough away from Judah and from its heritage and from the law of Moses, blah, 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 to be what Judah looked on as almost a corrupted, compromising, half-Jewish breed. And that is why, at the time of Jesus, the Jews hated the Samaritans. They despised them, because they saw them as half-breeds. And this was where the Samaritans came from. It was the result of Assyria carting Israel, the northern kingdom, off into captivity, obviously leaving a remnant there and then repopulating it with its own people. But as the Assyrians came down to repopulate some area, all right, they lost their what you call Assyrianishness, all right. So they, they became less and less Assyrian because they were cut off from their culture, all right. There were some Jews remaining in Israel, and of course, because they interbred and mixed, they came up with this kind of a, a compromise between Jew and Assyrian. And that was the Samaritans. And that was why the Jews in Jesus' day hated them so much. They looked down on them as dogs, half-breeds. You know, not even quite properly Gentiles. You know, so, so, so they really were the brunt of, uh, you know, real prejudice. And that's why Jesus' story about the Good Samaritan, the, the push, the punch of the cutting edge of that was that the one who did good wasn't the Jewish priest, it wasn't the Pharisee, it was a Samaritan, the person whom the Jews despised. And there was Jesus saying that Samaritans can do the will of God. Do you remember Jesus talking to the woman at the well of Samaria? And she got into all these arguments about, you know, sort of like where you're supposed to worship and that. She was waiting for the Messiah. She believed on Jesus very readily. She had enough Jewishness in her to respond to Jesus as a Jew would. But remember her saying about on this mountain our fathers, blah, blah, blah. That was her Samaritan Assyrian background coming out. And, uh, you know, the fact that Jesus spoke to a woman who was a Samaritan and a prostitute to boot, the disciples were absolutely horrified. And you remember, she said to Jesus that the Jews have no dealing with the Samaritans. And that is why the Samaritans were the fruit of the Assyrian captivity. And so what we've got, is that the ultimate judgment as promised in the law. And you remember through Moses, God always said, the ultimate judgment for unfaithfulness, that the discipline would increase, 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 but the ultimate judgment on the Jews would be removal from the land. And that is exactly what has happened here to the northern kingdom. Their unfaithfulness to God has gone on for so long and become so serious, and prophets were being raised up to speak about this, to warn the people, this is what's going to happen. You know, Isaiah was raised up. Isaiah was saying, look, you know, we're going to be taken off into captivity if we don't get right with God. And they were warned again and again and again, but they ignored it, and their leadership was rotten to the core, and so eventually ultimate judgment came upon them and they're carted off into Assyrian captivity. And that's it. They're gone. The ten lost tribes of Israel, as they're now known to historians. They're gone who knows where. They just do not exist anymore. Israel never returned back to the land. And at this point, Judah is left in the land, but Judah, from this point onwards, 
becomes known as Israel because there's no northern kingdom for it to be distinguished from, okay? So the date at this point when the northern kingdom, Judah, uh, Israel is taken into captivity, the date is now 700 BC. So then we move on to chapter 18 and 19, I'm going to do, do those together, and uh, only Judah is left now, and, uh, but you'll remember that um, under the reign of Ahaz, the one who did human sacrifice and everything, that um, you know, he became a vassal nation to Assyria, and then, you know, sort of like, you know, mucked it all up by then forming an alliance with um, Egypt. And the result of that is that Assyria invaded Judah as well. And Hezekiah is now the king when this happens. But Hezekiah, I said earlier, raised up to save the day. Hezekiah follows the Lord. What a, a dreadful father he had. He'd been brought up with human sacrifice, but Hezekiah really followed the Lord. And that what he did is he rid Judah of all the idolatry that his father had brought in, and, um, and then broke the nation's servitude to Assyria. So he got in touch with Syria and told them where to go. Now the Assyrians did not, well, no world power liked or approved of being told where to go by a vassal nation. So what did they do? Well, they pour in, they invade. They invade. And um, ten years after Israel had been, the north had been carted off by the Assyrians, ten years after that, during the reign of Hezekiah, um, the Assyrians now under the leadership of a guy called King Sennacherib, <coughs> make the play for Judah as well. Now, the thing to understand here is that Judah is now being faithful to the Lord. Israel wasn't. It fell to Assyria. Judah was being faithful to the Lord. It had heeded all the warnings. The people now had come back to the Lord. Hezekiah was following the Lord. They were being led by godly men, and as we're going to see, they weren't captured by Assyria, the Lord delivered them. And so what happens is that uh, Jerusalem actually comes under siege. The Assyrians get into the land and Jerusalem itself is besieged. And um, the first thing that Hezekiah tries to do, because I guess he thought it's always worth a try, was to buy them off with tribute, to bribe them. Say, look, don't invade, I'll give you this, this and this. But the Assyrians were so mad that they just wanted to wipe them out. So, no joy there. So, a full-scale invasion is underway and eventually um, Jerusalem is surrounded by the Assyrian troops. Now, what happens is that Sennacherib sends a PR man and really works hard at trying to turn the people against Hezekiah. And what the Assyrians do, they put out messages and send letters and stuff like that saying, look, can't you see how ridiculous it is? You cannot withstand us. Hezekiah cannot withstand us. And can't you see that the more Hezekiah stands against us, the worse it's going to be for all of you when we win. So give in. And they try to, t they use the tactic of trying to turn the people against the leadership.
all right. Um, and so, in effect, what the Assyrians are saying, Hezekiah is leading you against us, but if you remain a vassal nation, we'll be good to you. We'll look after you. But if, if you let your king carry on like this, we're going to destroy you and wipe you out. So that's the situation that Hezekiah finds himself in. And uh, he, he sends to the prophet Isaiah for, for guidance. And uh, I, I said earlier about Isaiah up in the north, didn't I? It wasn't, that was Jeremiah. Or was it? No, forget that. But Isaiah is at, at this point in Jerusalem. And Hezekiah sends to him, knows that he's a prophet, and says, what do I do? And Isaiah tells him that the Assyrian army, although it looked absolutely hopeless, absolutely hopeless, Isaiah told him that the Assyrian army would withdraw as a result of an unexpected military development elsewhere. And then that Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, would lose his life. Now that was the prophecy that Isaiah gives to Hezekiah. Now what happens immediately after this is that Egypt attacks Assyria on its home front. So therefore Sennacherib has to pull his army away from Judah back into Assyria to deal with the Egyptian incursion. But before he does that, he sends a letter to Hezekiah, which is basically a kind of, I'll be back, you know, <laughs> sort of saying, I've got to withdraw, but don't, don't think that you've won, I'll be back. And when I come back, I'm coming back with an army even bigger, blah, blah, blah. So, although the army had to withdraw, just as Isaiah had said, all right, a letter is sent to the king, Hezekiah, saying, but don't think that you're safe, because you're not. We're going to be back. And there's the very famous story of how the king, Hezekiah, he takes the letter into the temple, and the Bible said that he spread it out before the Lord. See, he sort of spreads it out, and he prays, prays to the Lord. And, you know, he sort of said, look, you know, it's hopeless, what can I do? And yet you've spoken to me through your prophet Isaiah, you've said you're going to deliver us, blah, 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 blah. And as he's doing that, Isaiah gets word to him that the deliverance is now imminent. So the first part of the prophecy has happened, the army has withdrawn, but the danger isn't over. So he spreads the letter out before the Lord, and Isaiah gets word to him that deliverance is going to be imminent. Now that night, all right, the Assyrian army are now marching back to their own land to deal with the Egyptian incursion. That very night, Hezekiah has spread the letter before the Lord. That very night, as the Assyrian army are marching back home, the angel of the Lord kills 185,000 of them in one fell swoop. The army is just so depleted. And then, not long after that, Sennacherib was murdered by his two sons. And so you've got this absolute, you know, Assyria. They've taken care of Israel in the north. Israel was out of fellowship with God, didn't have a chance. Israel gone, all right? 
at the hand of the Assyrians. Now, Assyria equally powerfully playing for Judah. But Judah's in fellowship with the Lord at this point. Hasn't always been, but at this point in fellowship with the Lord. And their king is as well. And this deliverance overnight, just like that. And the threat suddenly is completely over. And Judah is set free from the threat of the Assyrians, set free from the threat of captivity. Then we move into chapter 20, and um, Hezekiah becomes ill to the point of death. And um, he requests of the Lord that his life be extended. And Isaiah visits him and uh, tells him that the Lord was going to grant him 15 more years of life. So his prayer is answered, you know, Lord, give me more time. And Isaiah comes in, he says, yeah, the Lord is going to give you 15 more years. And uh, you get the famous story that Hezekiah was given a sign that this would come to pass. Because they didn't have clocks or watches in those days, they had sundials with the old shadow. And his sundial went back 10 steps. Which is a pretty incredible miracle if you think about it, you know, that was, that was the sign. And uh, so he gets his extra 15 years. However, this extra 15 years weren't quite as polished for the Lord, one might say, as his prior years. And uh, he, didn't, he didn't end up too good. And um, some envoys come from the Babylonian Empire. Now at this point, Babylon was strong, but Assyria was the business. Assyria was the world power. Babylon was just bubbling away in the corner, you know, just bubbling away, simmering. And, um, and the Babylonian, em em um, Babylonian envoys come to visit him with a kind of get well soon and stuff like that. And, um, and what Hezekiah does, and this was quite wrong that he did this, and he knew it was wrong, he showed off everything he had to them. Um, he showed them all the treasures. He gave them a guided tour of the whole nation. Which, from the point of view of security, isn't a very good idea. And it's like these env envoys come. And Hezekiah, I suppose he's a bit, oh, I've got an extra 15 years and I'm invincible and what can happen to me, kind of thing. And it goes to his head a bit. And he starts to show off everything that he's got and all the land and everything to the Babylonians. And as a result of this, Isaiah goes to him and prophesies um, the fact that in exactly the same way that Israel in the north had gone into captivity at the hand of the Assyrians, Isaiah now prophesies that Judah is eventually going to go into captivity at the hand of the Babylonians. Now at the moment, at this particular point in history, Babylon you know, couldn't have taken the Isle of Wight into captivity. Do you know what I mean? It wasn't big enough. But big changes were due to happen because it was 90 years later, you see. And, um, but it didn't happen in the lifetime of Hezekiah. But Hezekiah lived to hear the prophecy that Judah was going to be taken into captivity as well. Because of it, something. it was in fellowship at the moment, but it, it had a pretty bad history already. And, my goodness, worse was about to come. And uh, so Hezekiah died, and uh, he was succeeded by uh, his son, 
who was called Manasseh. Now, we then move on to chapter 21, and uh, Manasseh, he reigned for 55 years, and uh, he became king at the age of 12. And uh, now, he, he, he wasn't like Hezekiah, his dad. He was more like his grandfather, Ahaz. Human sacrifice, sorcery, you name it, he was in it. He was doing it. Again, a, a real stinker. And prophets are now raised up all over the place, proclaiming to Judah of the coming you know, captivity and the destruction of Jerusalem. You know, that, that if Judah doesn't get right with God, what happened to Israel is going to happen to it as well. Although, interestingly enough, we know from 2 Chronicles, and we'll see this later on, that uh, Manasseh, however bad he was at the beginning, he actually, later on in his life, he repented, and he became a good king. We'll see more of that when we do 2 Chronicles next time. And he, he was succeeded when he died by his son Amon, <coughs> and Amon reigned for two years, and he was like his dad Manasseh before he repented. Again, he was a stinker, he was a terrible bloke. And eventually his officials conspired against him and they assassinated him in the palace. And, um, but then the people rose up and killed the people who had killed him because they wanted his son to be on the throne. So Josiah became king after him. And, uh, you know, obviously that's important because obviously the messianic line has to um, be, be kept, kept going. So, chapter 22, and now we've got Josiah, who's king, and uh, things get a little better now, because the Bible says that Josiah followed the Lord just like King David had done. Josiah was a brilliant king, and uh, he had the temple restored, um, and while the temple was being restored, uh, his, his high priest, who was called Hilkiah, found a copy of the Book of the Law. They found the Pentateuch. It had been lost. The scriptures were gone. They were long gone. They found a copy of it. And, um, you know, the workmen in the temple, they found this copy of the law. And in response to this, Josiah leads national repentance before the Lord. He, he has the priests study it. He sends Bible, study, you know, Bible teachers out all over the land. And, um, and, and then he's approached by a prophetess called Huldah, and she tells him that the captivity is going to come, that, but because of his faithfulness it will happen after his lifetime. And then in chapter 23 you get more details about the revival that Josiah leads, and uh, he restores temple worship, he reinstitutes the Passover, he removes idolatry from the land, and he removes all the pagan priests and, occult priests and occultists. Um, eventually, he was killed in battle against Egypt. He, he went up against the Egyptians, which he shouldn't have done. The law wasn't in that, and he died as a result of doing that, and he was succeeded by his son, Jehoahaz. And Jehoahaz became king when he was 23, and he reigned for three months. Now, as a result of uh, Josiah going into battle against Egypt, as a result of that, um, Judah ended up a vassal nation to Egypt. So, big mistake by Josiah going against Pharaoh. And, uh, and, and now, alright, um, Jehoahaz is ruling in Judah, but as a vassal to Pharaoh Necho. Um, but after three months, Pharaoh Necho decides to invade, to invade and carts him off to jail, and, um, and makes his brother Eliakim, 
the king in his place. But in so doing, the pharaoh changed Eliakim's name to Jehoiakim. And kings would change their vassals' names as a sign of authority. And so what's happened is that Josiah's son, Jehoahaz, has been carted off to jail, alright? His brother, Eliakim, has been made king in his place by Pharaoh, but Eliakim has had his name changed to Jehoiakim, alright? And uh, he was an evil king, and uh, he reigned for 11 years. And then in chapter 24, uh, during Jehoiakim's reign, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, now defeated Egypt to become the next world power. So Babylon has got bigger and bigger and bigger. Now, Babylon, Egypt has sorted out Assyria. So Egypt is the bee's knees now. Babylon takes over from Egypt. So Babylon is the world power. And so therefore, during his reign, Judah's vassal status has passed from Pharaoh Necho of Egypt to the Babylonians. And um, and it was then that Jehoiakim died, and uh, he was succeeded by his son, Jehoiakim. All right. Now, Jehoiakim became king, and um, after three months, um, decided to rebel against Nebuchadnezzar, and got absolutely marmalised. Nebuchadnezzar marched in with his army, took him and all but the poorest of the land back to Babylon in captivity. So the captivity of Judah has begun. And so Jehoiakim has been taken um, up to the Babylonian Empire as a prisoner. And um, his uncle, a bloke called um, Mataniah, is made king in his place uh, by Nebuchadnezzar. Only Nebuchadnezzar changes his name from Mataniah to Zedekiah. And Zedekiah now becomes the last king of Judah. And then in chapter 25, and we're on the last, the last chapter now, after 11 years, he decided to rebel against the Babylonians. I mean, if history teaches us that we don't learn from history, so Zedekiah now rebels against Nebuchadnezzar. And, uh, I mean, as he saw what happened to everyone else who did this, but he did it as well. And so at that point, with Judah rebelling against the Babylonian Empire, Nebuchadnezzar laid siege to Jerusalem until it fell. And there was cannibalism. It was absolutely horrific. Only this time, no deliverance because Judah is so out of fellowship. The temple was burned to the ground. All the most important buildings in Judah were burned, and the place was just wrecked. Zedekiah was taken to Babylon in chains with his eyes gouged out. That was, that was what happened to him. And most of the people were taken to exile. Not all of them, but most of them. 90% of the Jews were removed from Judah to the Babylonian Empire. And um, a Jew called Gedaliah is made a governor of Judah, so no more kings, but Nebuchadnezzar makes this guy Gedaliah a governor to govern for him, the small amount of Jews who are left, but politics reared their ugly head and he was assassinated, at which point Nebuchadnezzar just, I don't care anymore, what does it matter? And Judah just ceased to exist. Um, however, 
Nebuchadnezzar was eventually succeeded by a guy called Evil Merodach, who took over from Nebuchadnezzar as king of Babylon. Now Jehoiakim, he was taken away in chains and he was in prison, but Evil Merodach releases him and Jehoiakim lives out the rest of his life in Babylon as a free man. And the important thing there to note is that Jehoiakim was of the messianic line. All right. So the point is that the messianic line is now saved from being completely destroyed because Jehoiakim is released and is able to be a free man, albeit obviously he's no longer the king in Judah because he's up in the Babylonian Empire. And uh, so he spent the rest of his days uh, living in the palace with Evil Merodach, and hence the Davidic or the Messianic line uh, was at least being preserved. And so what we've seen is the north is gone, dead, finished, gone off into Assyrian captivity. And now, a hundred years later, exactly the same thing happens to Judah, only with the Babylonian Empire. And now, the north and the south, they're gone. There are no more Jews, except from the odd ones here and there. Basically, complete and utter judgment has come upon the Jews, corporately Israel. We saw the conquest of Canaan in Joshua. We saw them moving in and taking over the land. And during the reigns of David and Solomon, they were the world power ruling from the land. Now, by the end of two kings, they're gone. The north, I mean, they've split into two nations, there was civil war. The northern kingdom, Israel, is gone into captivity. Now the southern kingdom is gone into captivity as well. You cannot get a worse scenario than this. Um, albeit, obviously, we are going to see in a few talks' time, because Judah was the messianic line, all right, the line of David. The messianic line was through Judah. And uh, we're, we're going to actually see that the kingdom in the south, Judah, actually got back into the land 70 years later, and we'll come on to that in future talks. But the date is now around 600 BC. The north has gone, and 100 years later, the south has gone into captivity as well, the Babylonian captivity of Judah, and the date when that happened was around 600 BC. Now, we're not leaving this point of um, the history yet, because next time we go on to do Chronicles, which covers the same area as 1 and 2 Kings. And we're going to see more of that history, the same history, but more of it, to understand why Chronicles repeats what 1 and 2 Kings um, has already done. And then having done that, we're going to put in like an extra talk, and we're just going to go through the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah, just so that we've got this very um, sort of complicated and intense history of Israel in the land in our heads. It is important that we do that, so, so that's sort of future attractions, and then after that we'll be moving on to seeing uh, Israel actually coming back into the land, and then to see what happened from that point onwards. So we'll pick up again next time with uh, Chronicles.